0: Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fratz. I come to you from Brasserie-le-Palais in Carcassonne, the end of stage 13 today. And the big news, the news you certainly have already heard, have already read, have already seen, Mark Cavendish took his 34th Tour de France stage victory today. It was, he said in the post-race press conference, one of the hardest sprints he has ever won. He came across the line, gave Mikkel morcal a big ol' hug and said, we made history. And he did today. Matched Eddie Merckx's 34 stage win record. Bit of a, uh, bit of a sort of minor, I was going to say, not back and forth, but Eddie Merckx came out and, and said some things about this which we'll get to in a little bit but before we do abby welcome hello and Dan cash how are you today yeah doing good how are you i am doing so good i'm sitting here i have wi-fi i have a large beer that i've just started and i'm ready to make a podcast great but first what are we learning about continental today
1: uh Well, Kaylee, wherever you are in the world, there's hopefully riding to be done. From the Yorkshire Dales, to the flats of the Netherlands, to the heat and dust of Utah, and so many other places. Wherever you ride, and whatever surface you ride on, your best bet is Continental. There's the GP5000 for the roadies, available in tubeless or tubed. Conti has the right tubes for those too, if you're still on the team tube inside, by the way. There's Terra Speed or Terra Trail if gravel's your thing, or if club racing is your scene, there's Conti's competition tires for that too. And of course, there's Continental's wide range of urban and mountain bike tires as well. Watching the pros is amazing, but getting out for a ride yourself is even better. So get out on Continental tires. In fact, Continental may have sent us a little something to give away. Keep your ears open over the next few days, and you could be walking away with a cool Conti prize. And no, it's not Ronan's socks. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring the podcast.
2: I don't know whose idea it was for some prize to be Ronan's old socks with holes in them at the end of this thing, but I... I have no words.
0: (laughs) Did you just stop a sentence like mid-sentence? Is that what... I did, yes. Are you just going to cut that part out?
2: No, I have no words. I have no words.
0: (laughs) Is he going to wash them
2: first? No, he's not going to wash them.
0: It's, It's gross. It's gross.
2: So don't get the Lantown Rouge in the Cycling Tips Fantasy competition. And if you do, don't open your mail.
0: That might be me because I keep forgetting to make my pick. Okay, let's get into it today. Let's get into it. Do you want to start with a little, like sprint breakdown here, or should we talk about the sort of broader context and meaning of a of thirty four stage wins at the Tour de France and 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 really how incredible that is? Uh, let's start with the latter. Let's start with the latter. So, you know, there's been a lot of comparing. There's a lot of comparing Cav to Merckx. Obviously, over the last couple of weeks, uh, he has basically refused to talk about this. He, he he referred to it as the M word. He doesn't want to talk about the M word. Didn't want to talk about the record. Kind of made it sound like he just did just didn't want to think about it. But it was really clear today at the finish line that this is something that that mattered a lot to him. And we do, one thing we do know about Mark Cavendish is that he he's a he's a, he's a student of the sport. He you know, just another perfect example, right? He 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 took his helmet off as he went by the Tom Simpson Memorial on Mont Ventoux the other day. He has actually gotten off his bike at that memorial before, at the Tour de France. Uh, He is a, he, he loves the sport, he loves the sports culture, he loves the sports history, and I think that he respects Eddie Merckx, as we all probably should. The first thing he said, the answer to the first question in the press conference was, I don't think I can ever be compared to Eddie Merckx, the greatest male road cyclist, of all time. He understands that he is not the same rider, that he has not won multiple tours, that he has not worn the yellow jersey for 96 days, which is what Eddie Merckx has done. But that doesn't take anything away from from the accomplishment, I don't think. Just how many stages that is, 34 stages of the Tour de France, how long you have to be at it to get 34 stages of the Tour de France.
1: Yeah, I feel like
0: Merckx is just
1: kind of being a little, little grumpy. I mean, nobody's accusing, nobody's saying that Merckx is suddenly not the greatest ever. I mean, everybody, everybody who follows cycling still knows that, still thinks that. Nobody's saying that Cavendish is suddenly the greatest ever. He can take one of Merckx's many records and accomplishments for himself, and still, you know, Merckx can still be the greatest ever. It's not like uh, it's not like we didn't know that Cavendish won all these in sprints. That that's what Merckx is saying, basically. Well. You know, Cav only did these in sprints. Well, I won in mountains, I won time trials. We know that. Like It's it's not a surprise to anybody who follows cycling. And it's not like any of us think anything less of Merckx just because Cavendish has now sprinted to the same number of wins that Merckx took in a variety of ways while also winning several yellow jerseys and other grand tours and monuments along the way. I, I don't know. I, I feel like Merckx can probably just... I feel like he should just be a little bit more gracious here.
0: I I, I agree, but I also think that he's... I think that those quotes that he's got are are, they're just the quotes of one a non-native English speaker, but like I think he's he's aware. So at the last, should we should we read out the quotes so that people know what we're talking about first and foremost? We're talking about a quote that we haven't actually heard or read on this podcast. Eddie Merckx was asked by La Gazzetta dello Sport, which is the Italian sports daily, uh, sort of what he thought of all of this, and he said. There'll be no problem if Cavendish equals my record. I won't lose any sleep over it. If he does it, I'll congratulate him because it's not easy to win 34 sprints. That's a perfectly reasonable thing to say. But then he goes on. Of course, there's a difference between us. I won 34 tour stages by winning sprints in the mountains in time trials and going on the attack on descents. Let's not forget the five yellow jerseys I've got at home. Plus 96 days I wore it. Does that not seem like much? Naturally, I'm not trying to play down what he's achieved. Also, because he's been through a difficult time and has fallen in love with cycling again, that's a great message for young people in the sport. Now, this it, doesn't it reek a little bit of someone sort of starting off a, a statement with like, "I don't want to be, I don't want to be an ass," but <laughs> you know, it, it rarely does anything after the but. Uh, Rarely is that a positive thing. It does, it does feel a little bit like that. And I agree, Dane, that he could be a little bit more gracious in this whole thing. But I also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut him a little bit of slack. One, because he's a 76-year-old, highly competitive dude. And he's probably not super pleased about this. And he can't defend it because he's 76 years old. And he cannot enter the Tour de France next year to try to take another stage win. We think. We're, we're pretty sure he won't do that. He can't do that. And, you know, like if it's a, if one of the many records you've got, you don't want to lose any of them if you're a highly competitive person, which he probably was. But also, again, like we often sort of get quotes from non-native English speakers. And this, this one, I should, I should be very clear, is not only just non-native, but uh, was into Italian and then into English because it came via Gazetta. And so I'm going to give him just a little bit more slack because of those reasons. Sometimes things just sound meaner <laughs> than they actually are in those circumstances. I'm going to pretend that Eddie Merckx is being gracious about all this, that he really would just wants to congratulate Mark Cavendish for his 34 stage wins. Uh, even though that may be a extremely rosy view of, of the entire situation.
2: I feel like his rants about, um, Matthew Vanderpool leaving the tour early kind of stray, stray these quotes in the way of not being so rosy. Um, with both cases with Mercs, it's cycling is not the same sport as when he was doing it. It's not the same at all. The the sport has completely evolved since then. So I just feel like for Cav, how heartbreaking must it be to tie this guy's record who you've looked up to as a kid and have him kind of like dismiss it as oh, it'll never be, you know, what I did. To take 34 sprint victories is just such an incredible feat at this point. And Cavs solidified his place in the hall of fame of sprinters. He's potentially the best sprinter of all time on the men's side. And yeah, and he's... He, even what's an even more impressive story about the fact that he's now equaled Merckx's record for stage wins at the tour is that he did it with this massive gap in his career and he went from, you know, being the best sprinter in the world to being a forgotten has-been who, you know, was grumpy all the time to once again being the best sprinter in the world. And that to me is what's so impressive about this record right now.
0: So first of all, I think he's, unequivocally the greatest Tour de France sprinter of all time. And the numbers back that up. So uh, just sort of a bit of context here. Most of the riders on the top of the stage wins chart are not sprinters. You've got Cav up there now tied for first. Then you've got Andre Deragat who raced in the fifties and sixties is the next sort of pure sprinter. And then you, you kind of have to go all the way down to like Freddie Martins and, and Marcel Kittle at 15, 14, uh, most of these most of these high stage win riders are not pure sprinters, and I think that speaks to how difficult it is. And let's not forget as well that Cavendish did this during an era that saw fewer sprint stages in each Tour de France than the eras previous. So in the 90s, early 2000s, we often would would end up with a tour like this year where we've got you know eight opportunities, nine opportunities for for sprint stages. But there were also a lot of years when when Cav was racing, where he won basically at every opportunity, meaning that he could have probably taken more, but some of those races only had four sprint stages or five sprint stages, and he would win all four of them or four out of five, right? I think that makes it even more impressive than it would have been otherwise. This is This just like, a, it's like a bit of a Cav love fest today. Like
2: he He's earned this Cav love fest because... Well, for one, I am just a massive fan of Cav at the moment. After his post yesterday about Mariana Voss winning thirty stages of the Giro Donne, Giro Rosa, Giro whatever the f it wants to be called next year, he he just made this incredible post on Instagram, and he said in his post that he's looked up to Mariana Voss for for his career for his whole career, and and that coming from a, guy, a man who is currently at the height of his side of the sport to then put that on his Instagram that is probably just getting flooded with views at the moment is such a huge thing that I'm on board the Cav Love fest train at the moment. I just think that for him to have done that yesterday and also how humble he's been in every single one of his interviews. Every single one of his interviews after he's won a stage, he said something along, along the lines of, I don't care what number it is, it's just like the first one. I won I won a stage of the Tour de France. Actually, should we listen to his post-race interview really quick from today?
0: Let's do it. What's it like to be the equal of Eddie Max? What's it like to be the record holder of stage wins on the Tour de France?
3: It's tiring. Man. That's all I can like. I can't even think about it. I'm afraid I'm so dead. 220 kilometres in that heat, that wind, that final. Whoa. Oh, I went deep there. I went so deep. there. the boys were incredible. No oh, can't believe it. And it was it was tense indeed. I mean the clerk had a crash. you had to change your bike uh, a moment it looked like it wouldn't happen, but it did. Well a lot of the day it didn't feel like it was gonna happen before I had to. The guys are riding like they were. I was so on the limit. you saw at the end, slightly uphill. Ballero was there, and then uh, um, Cortino, well, was a good jump. I was just I had Morkov there, he just dragged him back. Um, I was, like, the lads just played it calm, calm. I lost a little bit on that last right-hander. The roads with about 4-5k to go. Got a bit slippy, I thought I punctured. And then everyone else was like, oh no, it's, it's the road, it's not your time. But we had to take it easy. I just lost a bit. Um, and uh, I've got a problem as well because, like, like, the commissaries on the first day came to me to say I headbutted Buhani on a on roundabout, but I didn't headbut him. The problem is, I've got such narrow shoulders that if I lean with my shoulder, it looks like my head's close. You know, I've got narrow. Sh- so I've got guys coming in, I've got to really try and think of leaning without using my head. That's odd, that's really odd. In fact. The safest thing to do is use your head, start using your elbow, like it's the safest thing to do use is your head, but you know what, you know what they're like, so i got to watch that and I lost a little bit. Um, but Mark, I mean, have you, have you realised that you've won 34 stages on the Tour de France, or you, or you haven't realised yet, and or you don't want to talk about it? I am haven't I'm, I'm realised, <laughs> it's still just another win on the Tour de France, it's like my first one. I've won a stage of the Tour de France. That's what I dreamed of as a kid. So what I dream of and now. Um, and i worked so hard for it. And I know that, like, I just hope we've seen such a growth, especially in the UK, of cycling in the last... or well, since I've started racing here at the Tour de France, you know. And uh, if... Any one of my wins can inspire them kids to ride the Tour de France or the Tour de France Femmes next year. Um, when they grow up, then that's the that's what means the most to me. I think. And there are some children who must be very proud. A little boy called Casper must be very proud of <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, he is. I've got more kids. I've got four kids, but Casper's the one that's obsessed with cycling. Yeah, he there, uh, For sure he will be listening Seth p dulcet tones on the voice of La Tour de France in twenty years time you know. thank you very much you.
0: I have two I have two things uh one you probably picked up on it, along the same lines there Abby, uh as as the Voss post I mean you probably picked up on the fact that he he uh very Specifically, said greatest male road cyclist of all time uh, when he's talking about being compared to Eddie Merckx. Later in the press conference, and I doubt that these quotes will really end up much of anywhere. Um, unfortunately, the only audio that I grabbed, uh, you mostly just hear me typing in the background, so we won't play it. It doesn't sound particularly good. So he was an- he was answering a question about the the Tom Simpson memorial, and you know him taking his helmet off on Vontu and and things like that. Um, and his, his response was, Tommy Simpson paved the way for many British riders like myself. Uh, I'm privileged to be in an elite club with him, with Lizzie, with Nicole Cook. It's not just me. I think most British riders feel the same, would do the same. So there is another, another perfect example of... of he, he This is purposeful. This is not accidental, right? He is very purposefully... Um, well, he's basically, you know placing his female colleagues in the same sentence, quite literally as male colleagues. And I think that that's something that one, he wouldn't have done 10 years ago. And two, that we don't really see from the men's peloton all that often. And is well, it's massively appreciated. That Voss post was, was fantastic, right? These riders have massive followings. They can't, they ha- they have strong voices and they can use them to good effect like this. Uh, he actually so Cav kind of addressed this tangentially, not not this particular thing, but his sort of growth as a human being uh, in the press conference as well today. And <laughs> this is this isn't actually something that I've heard him personally address before, but I know he's done it with with, with uh, in interviews occasionally. Um, but he's at a relatively uh, not caustic, but combative relationship with the press for quite a long time. And some of that was because the press was combative with him. And some of it was because he was combative with the press. And it just sort of, you know, it creates this bit of a vicious cycle here where, you know, he's a dick to us. And so we're a dick to him and it just goes back and forth and back and forth. Right. And he kind of addressed that today. Um, Again, I'm going to read off the quote because the audio that we've got just his sound of me typing, which is not great. I think I've been personally picked at, but I think I've also been a prick. That's what Cav said. That's what happens when you're young. As you get older, family responsibilities, you learn how to behave. And maybe took time away. It maybe took time away for me to get both the chip off my shoulder and the press to get the chip off their shoulders. I'm a grown-up now. I'm 36 years old. I'm not a 20-year-old boy wanting to fight the world. That's a very different Mark Cavendish than we would have, than we would have seen when he was a 20-year-old boy wanting to fight the world, right? And so that's why I, I do feel like, yes, this feels a bit of a, lo- a, a Cav love fest here. We're talking effusively about the things that he's now done and how he's the, you know really the greatest of all time at the thing that he, that he does best. And I think that I would have personally kind of struggled with that five, six, seven years ago. And I'm kind of more okay with it now because I do genuinely believe that if people change, you should allow them to do so and you should, you should appreciate that and accept that. And he appears by all evidence to be a different person, different human being than he was at the beginning of his career. He's much more adult. He's much more, he's just not a prick anymore. <laughs> That's very helpful for, for having a good relationship with him and, and wanting to, to talk him up like this.
2: I want to move on to the actual win today because it was incredibly impressive to watch him maneuver through that finish. But I I do just want to, like, one more time just reiterate that there are men in the Peloton who give the women's professional Peloton props all the time. Tao Gaggenhart is one of them. Um, Toms also is always tweeting about the women. But... You do not often see it from the very, very top riders on the men's side. It's pretty rare that a guy who is one of the best in the world right now, who has millions of eyes on him, would do something like that. That is very, very rare from the men's peloton. So I think um, for me, all is forgiven with Cav and I think he's great. But can we talk about that win today? Because that was incredible. He didn't look like he was going to win for a couple hundred meters. He was getting shoved around a little bit. He said in his interview that we just played that he, um, he, he got called out a little bit in, in the stage that he, the last stage he won about Buhani and using his head against Buhani where he said that his shoulders are quite narrow. And so when he's leaning with his shoulders, he's also leaning with his head, which, you know, like makes sense. But um, so he was really science. thinking about that. The science. He was thinking about that while he was while he was trying to stay in position today. But there was multiple times where he was in a really terrible position. It looked like he wasn't going to win. And he was just able to be so scrappy to get himself into the perfect wheel going into that left-hand turn, going into the finishing straight. It was incredibly impressive.
1: Yeah, it, it was a really unusual final... 600 meters or so, uh, because the quick Quickstep had a really a well- marshalled lead out kind of running things, heading into the last 600 meters. They had like three riders at the front. Um, and then as they rounded that final bend, DSM just shot past them. and all of a sudden the the step train was was broken up and it was a little ways back. Kavenish and Michael Morkaw were a little ways back. And it, it seemed like, wait, did, did Dekunik mess this up? Did they did they not expect DSM to be coming up so fast? Because it seemed like Dekunik was not riding as quickly as they might have been uh, into that last corner, whereas DSM came flying past them. And so Cavendish and Morkow were probably six spots back or so with uh, with like 400 meters to go. And uh, it, it was kind of a, a moment of uncertainty there, but Morkow just did a really impressive job of... Pulling Cavendish right up back to the front again, which is not easy to do when they're going that fast and with that little ground left to cover. But Morcal did it, and uh, Ivan Garcia Cortina was at the front for a little bit there, and then all of a sudden they're back, and it was it was like, oh no, they didn't mess it up; they did it perfectly. Michael Morcal was amazing, and he was so amazing that Cavendish won the stage, and Morcal finished second right behind him. Uh, that that's that's how good they are.
0: Can I say something slightly controversial? I think I think Marcau purposefully did not win that bike race. I think he could have won that bike race. Yeah, I don't
1: know how controversial it is because I kind of think that might have been the case as well. It
0: was certainly close. If Marcau had really wanted to, I mean, wouldn't you? Like, wouldn't you? If you, if you, if you know, if that's what's on the line, wouldn't you? Because one, well, I don't know. Like, up, up stage wouldn't be a big deal for him. <laughs> But at the same time, if that's what's on the line and you don't want to be the guy that prevented him from getting 34, right? Like you don't want to be – you don't want to as – a, as, a, as an opponent, that would be fine. But as a teammate, you do not want to be that guy. But if you look at the – so there's a photo. We've got it on the, on the sort of news piece that's up on cyclingtips.com, great website, uh, that you can see that one – Marcao is, is seated and two, he's kind of like forward on the bike a little bit right before the line, meaning that not only did he not do a bike throw, he did the opposite. He was literally like pulling his bike toward him and looking at the time straight over at Cavendish to make sure that Cav's wheel was the first one across the line. I think 100% he could have taken that stage. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad he didn't, I guess like I, again, you wouldn't want to be that rider, you wouldn't want to be the guy that that, that took the 34 away but I, I do think that that's a little it's always a bit weird, right when you've got when you've got the lead out man that could have won and he, he didn't quite break check, but he was pretty darn close now, the reason for that, I think, was that that finale was hard. It was really, really hard, and Cav talked about that quite a bit in the press conference as well not just in the bit that we just heard, but also later. There's a sort of like getting the nuts and bolts of it. There's basically a a later press conference where Cavendish or whoever wins the stage talks directly to the press via like a video link. It's normally or often in person, but it's a video link these days. Um, And he talked pretty extensively about how difficult the stage was and the fact that it was sort of like this 1%, 2% climb actually up to the finish and how he was just really sort of fully on the limit that entire time and how it was really a much better finish for somebody who's not like him. He's sort of like the punchy type, right? He referred to his short legs. I'm not sure that has anything to do with it. Uh, but it's more like a Watt van Art kind of finish. And we we saw the results of that in the finale, which is, you know, Cortina going off the front. Uh, it was not sort of a traditional straight, flat, fast finish. The little bit of rise was what allowed those riders to make those late moves, and what made it so so hard. And also, just really impressive that Cav won it because it, it wasn't really a great a great finish for him.
2: I mean, he's buying all of them Rolexes at the end of the race, anyway. So
0: he he owes he owes Marco way, way more than a Rolex.
2: He'll get him a fancy Rolex. I feel
1: like it would be cool if Marco got some chances for himself at some point. Before
0: I mean, I'm asking my our our. The watch expert at my table uh what the most expensive watch would be patek philippe there you go that's what he needs to get everybody including michael Morkov. and maybe like buy him a house or something
2: did your brother just tell you that
0: yeah sure
2: your brother is a watch expert
0: yeah <laughs> 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 moving on Moving on.
2: Well, it wasn't exactly easy for the Quickstep to even get to that lead out train at the end of the race. There were crosswinds. There was a pretty gnarly crash in the race as well. That sent home Simon Yates and, um, saw Soren Crow Anderson scrambling out of a ditch. It was, it looked like a really nasty crash. I don't know what caused it. If it was gra- it looked like gravel on the road is what I kind of heard afterwards. Um, But the whole day was pretty hectic before they even even got to Carcassonne.
1: Yeah, it seemed like that last hour and a half or so was a pretty nervous period. Uh, Obviously, that crash was bad. There were other crashes. There were uh, punctures for several riders, Cav included, uh, punctured at one point. And then they headed into some crosswinds uh, and... Hats off to Ineos and uh, to Kuninke, except for at least trying to make something happen. They both went to the front. They both pulled really hard for a brief period, uh, but Pogachar was in a pretty good position, and it looked like the wind just wasn't wasn't strong enough to really force the splits. But they did kind of try, which is better than they kind of had done so far. Uh, I think we were all hoping for a little bit more. I think we were probably all hoping for a little bit more wind, too, to make it more interesting uh, from a GC perspective, uh, because Pogachar's team... Uh, you know, maybe not quite as strong in these conditions, but he himself was right up there. And at one point, he even was at the very front of the peloton. Uh, so the, the the attempts to break things up today, they didn't really work out. But yeah, chapeau to those teams for at least giving it a shot. I was pretty critical of Ineas for not trying that. And they finally at least put riders at the front of the peloton. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a half-hour effort or anything, but they kind of tried.
0: Well, and Pogaccio, like was just cruising around by himself, right? And that's that's what you want. and And that's what creates the possibility of something happening i mean if he if he had a flat in that moment it would it could have been ugly right uh and granted we don't want anyone to lose the, the tour de france with a flat tire but having a team around if you do have a flat tire is part of winning the tour de france those two thoughts can coexist peacefully in your in your brain and we yeah we saw him isolated again which is not really a great sign and and uh, Pogaccio actually sort of referenced uh, specifically the crash of Micah uh, in his post-race press conference, talking about how that's a real blow, depending on exactly how injured he is, that's a real blow going to the Pyrenees, because Micah was, was kind of his last guy, it was really his uh, his right-hand man when they get into the, into the mountains. And so a already... Uh, weak is not the right word, but sort of just questionable team Got even more questionable thanks to that crash at the end of the race today. Yeah, Mike has been a stalwart
1: so far. I mean, he was pretty strong the last couple of days, and, and losing him that would be a, or at least losing him at his best. You know, if he, if he's weakened by the crash, if he's hurt, or if he's in any way kind of uh, not quite what he was, that's going to be a big blow for Bugatti because going over Mont on Ventoux twice, it was Rafael Mike that was kind of hanging out there even as that group was getting smaller and smaller and a lot of other teams were losing riders. So hopefully for Pogacar, Micah is okay. As of, as of recording the podcast, I don't think we know much about Micah's condition. He did finish quite a ways back there on the day though.
0: Yeah. I mean, even Pogacar wasn't sure whether he had any broken bones, what, like what exactly the situation was uh, at the press at the, at the press conference. And so, we're still waiting on that information uh, he was taken to the hospitals for checks and we have not as of recording again we usually record these sort of shortly after the stage as of recording we do not know the the result of those scans
2: all right should we move on from the tour de france real quick Speaking of sprinters and uh, incredible sprinters, Lorena Wiebes took her second stage win at the Giro Donne. She won by a full bike length over Emma Norrisgaard. It was a very, very impressive sprint victory by her, and also a really incredible lead out by Corinne Rivera for Wiebes to take that second win. And she's she's really been the top women's sprinter in the peloton this year. It's been awesome to watch her really kind of come into her own as a rider on DSM. She had a little bit of an off period when she switched teams from Park Hotel Valkenburg to Team Sunweb. So really great to see her kind of putting her stamp on women's cycling because it was always, we always knew she was going to be really amazing. The other big news in women's cycling today is that our very own diarist, and former USA national champion Ruth Winder today announced that she will be retiring at the end of 2021. What a career she's had. Pretty excited for her, for her next step. Should we hear her hear her diary really quick?
4: Hey, cycling tips, um, Ruth Winder here again, just finished stage seven of the Giro. Uh, no, finished stage eight of the Giro, to uh, two more days to go. Um, and it's my birthday, and it was really nice. Lots of people wish me happy birthday in the Peloton. And today, I announced that I will be retiring at the end of this year, so I feel like I'm being celebrated a lot today, which is a really fun feeling. Um, and the team is making me feel really special too. I came back to the hotel and there was a little present on my bed, and everybody seemed in good mood and good spirit. So, it's definitely emotional in a few different ways. Um, but overall feeling good and happy today for me my day was really chill i just mostly sat at the back and took it easy the first maybe 40 50k was so annoying because there were a lot of attacks going and i felt like there could have been A freaking peloton off the front of a bunch of 30 people that wasn't being chased down and then the second a trek segafredo jersey jumped into that break it was like the entire thing was chased down so it was constantly just us not wanting a big break to go away with one of every team in it without us in it but then at the same time as soon as we moved then it was being brought back which just felt really really frustrating and i was getting tired and grumpy from it um and in the end a couple of smaller teams got away in a small break and then all the big teams were like, okay, that's it, and then we just yeah cruised around Italy for a while until the sprint train started to chase it back, so that was mostly DSM and Movistar that chased it back, obviously for Lorena and Emma, and um, then it was... yeah, Lorena won the sprint at the end of the day for the for DSM, um, which congrats to them, another win. Uh, She's super strong and A really good sprinter. Uh, We tried to put Lucinda up there again, but I believe she had a front flat tire, so she um, finished 10th on a front flat, which is just crazy. Uh, So yeah, we we did our best to put her up there, but I um, got caught behind a little bit of a crash with a couple k to go and I saw all of the bike exchange girls on the floor and I hope they're all okay. I I haven't heard anything about what they're doing, um, how they're doing, but I was behind that and so I didn't really see the chaotic last couple K and I'm honestly okay with it. <laughs> um, so I don't know how Liz- Lizzie and uh, Lucinda did there in the in the end. I mean, I know how they finished, but I don't know how it kind of worked out for them yet. Cause we kind of get back to the bus, take showers really quick and then everybody gets in cars and loads to the hotel and then we shower and do the massage. And so I actually haven't seen them. <laughs> um, so we'll find out later, but yeah, that was my day. Uh, looking forward to some mountains tomorrow and We had pizza last night for dinner, which was so good. So here's to hoping that there is a birthday treat awaiting me at dinner tonight. All right, cheers, talk to you soon.
0: Has her next step been announced?
4: Winter
2: bakes?
0: Yeah, I do assume. I mean, she loves baking. And I assume she's opening a bakery. They just bought a house in Nederland, Colorado. It's purple
2: it's very purple
0: it's extremely purple it's yeah Yeah. like if you just sort of imagine the purplest house you can really possibly imagine and then just make it like 10 percent more purple that's how purple their house is
2: plus a little bit extra yeah (laughs) but they're very excited it's really really exciting for ruth she's one of the riders who really struggles being over in europe all the time and Lauren Rowney and I talk about this all the time on the freewheeling podcast about how hard it is to be an American or an Australian racing in Europe and how the fact that the the cycling scenes in the US and in Australia are really dying and the only way that you can kind of be a professional is to be in Europe and how hard it is to be away from friends and family and Ruth is one of those riders who, you know, some adapt and Ruth didn't have that and and she's been away from zach her fiance the whole time she's been racing in europe so for her i think i'm really really excited for her i'm happy for her this is gonna be she's there will be much much more happiness watts in her future because of this decision i think
0: and and as a good friend of zach's uh it's really hard to leave him i agree i also feel sad are you struggling
2: kaylee you don't even live there anymore you don't even (laughs) go here All right, let's hear from Heidi really quick before we talk about stage nine of the Girodane.
5: Checked off another day at the Giro and uh, another, well, a flat, like completely flat day, which is just kind of crazy to me that these exist here. Um, Flat and fast, and I am really happy to report um, as a follow-up to my... Uh, to my diary yesterday, I'm really, really happy to report that um, the team rode as a unit today. And it was so much better. It was so great. And um, we like gained so much respect in the peloton, or at least that's what it felt like. Um, people gave us space and we rode. We were all lined up, all four of us, <laughs> um, in so many different parts of the race, near the front, Um, Sometimes we just were on the front just because we needed to put ourselves there um, and just sort of assert that we are (laughs) – Rally is here. We are riding together and we can get some – like we deserve some respect right now, (laughs) Um, which was great because honestly, I think when we take stock – of what, of what the rest of the Giro means to us, um, we are not really in the GC. I think the the stages have been so fast that it's been really, really hard to get any breaks going, um, besides breaks of one or two, and uh, and they're just kind of like flailing out there, you know, and until they're predictably like brought back. And so, when we take stock of like what we can do here at the Giro um, as a team, I think it's just been—it was really nice today to feel like we made really good progress in um, just in riding together and communicating and like being at the front for some really significant parts, um, like. The crosswind, there was crosswind all day today, but the wind just wasn't strong enough. Um, And it kind of picked up a little bit in strength. And there was a really cool moment where we, at like 62 to 70K, um, there was just a a part that could have been really critical, um, where we turned to the left and it became a tail crosswind. And if you know, if say Trek or DSM had wanted to get on the front and split the field, if the wind had been a little bit stronger, they totally could have. Um, and the four of us were like lined up right behind DSM and Star at the front, um, ready for whatever was going to happen. And, you know, there was a little bit of shuffling and stuff, but nothing, you know, there was no split. The wind wasn't strong enough. But it was so nice to be up there with, the whole you know with all four of us feeling like okay we're we're doing it like we're doing this we're making really good progress and um yeah that just felt really nice and uh we stayed safe today we didn't have any chaotic uh chaotic exits from from the Jiro uh we're a little bit nervous because of the COVID cases that are popping up and um yeah especially after tibco announcing their covid case and so we're we're all getting tested and just <laughs> crossing some fingers and yeah i mean the rest of the days it's we got nothing to lose so um yeah man we're so close so close
2: so stage 9 on saturday is the second massive mountain day for the women It'll be, I have no optimism left for this race, so we'll see how it goes. If Anna Breggen extends her lead over oh, three minutes that she's got now over her teammate. I don't know how I will continue to be excited, but I will do my best. Kaylee Fretz, he loves the optimism. So tomorrow, Gerardonna stage nine. Optimism. Before we talk I'm about the... optimism. Yeah, I know. I can't. Sorry, I'm too tired. <laughs> Before we talk about
6: stage 14 of the Tour de France, let's hear from Jose Bain. Stage 14 and today we race from Carcassonne to Quillan through the country of the Cathars. Cathar comes from the Greek word of pure. The Cathar people arose in Occitanie during the late Middle Ages and they turned against the prevailing church teachings and considered themselves the true Christians. They rejected the Old Testament and held a dualistic view of the nature of the divine being. And because of these ideas, the Cathars were considered heretics and fiercely persecuted by the Inquisition. Pope Innocent III decided to take strong action. In 1209, he managed to rally an army for a crusade to Occitania, a holy war to crush the Cathars. After three crusades, the crusaders finally attacked the last important stronghold of Montségur, which we pass after 89 kilometers in the stage. The fortress was difficult to attack. Catapults could not reach the high altitude of over a thousand meters, but one night, however, a group of crusaders captured a nearby tower so that they could fire from the same height. It eventually forced the Cathars to surrender in 1244. Anyone who did not want to convert to Roman Catholicism was burned at the stake. And in Montségur, that was about 200 to 225 people. The Finnish town of Quillan is home to the oldest French post Tour de France criterium. It's organised since 1938. Post-Tour criteriums are very popular in countries like France, Belgium, the Netherlands, but also Germany has some races. The stars of the Tour de France, preferably the jersey and stage winners, get an invitation and an often large sum of money. The yellow jersey winner can actually win more in criterium fees than the prize money in the actual Tour de France. It's rumoured to be well over €50,000 per race. They get flown into private jets, and local sponsors fund the races. These criteriums are social gatherings with copious amounts of alcohol. But seeing the stars you saw on TV in real life is really cool. The stars get driven around in convertibles on the course to be seen and cheered on by everyone. There's also a lot of time, usually, to have your picture taken and the VIPs even have time for a little chat. The start field is completed with regional and national pro riders, but they get a considerably smaller amount of money for their effort. The race is not a race, but because where do you see Chris Froome win a sprint against Sam Bennett? But the spectators usually don't care. It's great fun to watch and have a good night out on a summer evening. In 2020, all criteriums were cancelled and for 2021 it doesn't look good either. With the social distancing rules still in force and many companies taking a financial hit because of the Covid pandemic, this just is not the town to go to time <laughs> to go around and ask for sponsor money. It's not clear if the Quillant Criterium, usually on the 15th of August, which is a bank holiday in France, takes place, the last entry on their Facebook page, is already over a year ago.
2: All right, Dane, what does stage 14 look like?
1: It looks like a breakaway day, if you ask me. Uh, it's, it's a very up-and-down kind of stage, a great transitional kind of stage as the race heads towards the Pyrenees and kind of into the Pyrenees, actually, from Carcassonne. Uh, there are five categorized climbs on the stage, uh, all of them either... Uh, cat twos or cat threes and they're kind of sprinkled throughout the day so with a a high altitude stage in andorra to follow and a profile that's going to be hard to control and it's going to be too hard for the sprinters it's like a perfect day for the breakaway and uh it's going to be one that's going to offer some points for the mountains classification as well because of those cat twos along the way we'll have some points there Uh, i think it's going to be a a pretty interesting one to watch i think we're going to see a pretty good battle up the road i Kind of doubt there will be much GC action, but the final climb, uh, the Col de Saint-Louis, tops out less than 20k from the finish, and it's got a 7.4% gradient over 4.7k. So it is steep enough that if somebody really wants to, they might be able to try something there uh, at the very end of of an already pretty kind of up-and-down kind of day. Uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up, but I, I do think it's possible we could see somebody try something out of the GC group uh, but definitely some action for the stage win. That'll be a great launching pad if if a rider isn't already solo off the front. Uh, should be a good one.
0: You know what? It seems like a good stage for Tom's. That's true. <laughs> What's the inside story? <laughs> it does. Is he is he uh, so is whenever, the whenever... Well, no. So, so sometimes I text him and I'm like, hey, tell me who to pick for my fantasy league tomorrow. And he just he just. Sends me in, the, in wrong directions on purpose, usually, and generally, when he does that, it means he's going in the breakaway. So I, think I gonna... did
2: text him and say, "You gonna go for it tomorrow?" and he just said, "Yup."
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There you go. Also, also, we know that Tom's listens to the podcast because he texts me in the morning about random things that we get wrong sometimes. <laughs> Back checking by Tom's, so we do appreciate that. <laughs> I shouldn't say he doesn't text me about things that get wrong. He just texts me about like he just comments on things that we that we have discussed. Or like this morning, remember how yesterday I was like yeah, I'm gonna try to catch Harry Sweeney uh, in the morning, and then he texted me on the bus and he's like you're not gonna get Harry Sweeney this morning because he's on the bus in front of us stuck in traffic. I was like oh, that's very cool, helpful man. actually. <laughs> it's very, it's a it really useful uh, inside <laughs> source and I just left at that point <laughs> when I went on with my day I was like well if I'm not going to get him I'm going to get out of here so I do appreciate that Tom's I know you're out there listening friend of the podcast really a partner of the podcast you could say
2: <laughs> alright should we make some picks for tomorrow or did you just make your pick
0: I made my pick
2: that's your pick Yep. Toms, Dane Cash your pick for tomorrow
0: potato man's good uh, yeah it's a tough one
1: because breakaways are always tough to pick. Um, I like Tom's. I want to go with... Uh, Julian Alphilippe has been getting into the breakaways, and it looks like a perfect stage for him from a profile perspective. So if he can get up there, always a, a you know crapshoot. But if he can get up there, I do think Alphilippe's got a great chance for tomorrow.
2: I'm going to go with Casper Asgreen for tomorrow. Why? Because he was really trying to get in the breakaway today. It was when... Earlier in the stage, when the stage first started today, it, it almost didn't look like it was going to be a sprint day. There was a couple really strong breakaways that went off the front today, including uh, one with Twoms. Uh he was, he was trying, Trek was trying really hard to get off the front today, actually, in the beginning of the day. So they were really active today. Um, but Casper Asgreen sh- slotted himself up into two different breakaways today. He's been pretty active already, and I think that tomorrow's a good stage for him.
0: Um, speaking of Trek, I had an embarrassing moment the other morning at the uh, at the mix zone. So Trek was coming back, and I waved at Tom's because I wanted to say hi. And Vincenzo Nibbly thought that I was waving at him. Oh and no! He, and he came. <laughs> he came over to talk to me. And oh, no! Um, Vincenzo doesn't. I mean, he speaks English. He actually speaks a fair amount of English. He just pretends not to. But I'm a. I, he, he would pretend not to with me. And I speak. Very little Italian, and so I was like, um, I, "I didn't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the Toms behind you." <laughs> and he was like, "What?" <laughs> and the the entire rest of the press pen just cracked up because as like literally the first time in history that anyone has pulled Nibbly successfully over to the mixer. I gotta say, I mean, and then not wanted not wanted to talk
2: to him. <laughs> oh my god! You know your time has come to an end. When?
0: When? I really just wanted to talk to Tom's. <laughs> I also had like zero questions in my brain prepared for nibbly. And so it li- I, I given more than two and a half seconds, I would have just come up with something and been like, okay, but I'd literally just sort of waved him on. I, I felt. And then he wrote
2: away it. and he went like this
0: pretty much. Yeah. He did the, he did the Italian, uh, which is an emoji now, by the way, if they haven't used it yet for, for the, for those listening. Uh, it's the three fingers sort of put together. So you put your thumb, your index finger, and your middle finger together, and you stick them, point them up in the air, and you wave it around. I'm currently doing it to Abby and, and Dane. <laughs> just waving it around at you guys. Yeah, I got I got that, basically. Um, it's just a funny moment. The Tour de France is weird. <laughs> it's just weird mm. sometimes.
2: <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny.
0: Yep, yep. Sorry nibs. That was don't, the
2: first uh, time and last time Nebli's ever gonna come over to the to the press pen.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say
1: that's the last time you talked to Vincenzo.
0: He's never I've never i I've, like, I've never spoken with him because he just won't like it won't do English and I can't do Italian. That's my fault, not his. Uh and yeah, so I just, we just We've just never chatted. And I don't know why he came over to begin with. Like, why would he come? I just stuck my hand in the air and he just came right over. Like, weird. Like, the riders I actually want to talk to, I stick my hand in the air and they just ride right by. And then Nibbles is like, yeah, sure, I'll come over and talk to you. Anyway. (laughs) Moving on. We made our picks. We have discussed tomorrow's stage. Is that it?
2: That's it. That's all we got. I think we should... That's it. Really quick before we... Ronan's back tomorrow. Ronan is back tomorrow. He will be back at the Tour de France, the poor guy. But before we end the episode today, um, it's really important to me that we mention the Black Sheep Cyclist Alliance Cycling Tips kit that just launched today. It's available for pre-order on the Black Sheep website. Uh, on the on the Black Sheep website, but I will also put a link in the show notes of this episode so you can check it out. The kit is done by a street artist, and it's an incredible design. It's so but good. But even better, even better than that, it all the. Even better than that, a portion of the proceeds go to the Cyclist Alliance, which does incredible things for women's cycling. If you ever listen to the Freewheeling podcast, you know that we are huge fans of what the Cyclist Alliance has been able to do for women's cycling and everything that they're pushing for. And especially this year with the Patrick Van Gansen case and also the Mark Broca case, it's clear that the women's Peloton really needs a union like the Cyclist Alliance in their corner, backing them up, having their backs Check out the Black Sheep kit that we've collaborated with to create. It's really great. That's all it's, I got.
0: It's superb. It's it, so first of all, it's super cool looking. It's great. It's like just a great kit, and it's an awesome cause. I mean, we basically we, we came at this as like, how do we, how do we do something cool for podcast listeners for fellow club members that allows us all to sort of together support this thing that we all really like. And this is what we came up with. And side benefits, you get this really awesome kit to wear around. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. one. Apparently, we're getting some.
2: I bought one today, so I don't know if i get one, but... You might have too. I, I bought it with my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.